For many parents, raising a child to follow Christ is not always easy. And with today's culture and all the distractions and competing beliefs, parents could use a lifeline to help their kids understand just who Jesus is and why they believe what they believe. Hi, I'm Richard Hunt. At Cedarville University in Ohio, one expert in the faith is offering a lifeline to parents. He's Dr. Dan DeWitt, the director of the Center for Biblical Apologetics and Public Christianity. His book is called Why God? Big Answers About God and Why We Believe in Him. Dr. DeWitt, you've uh, written books before, but something in particular motivated you to write this particular children's book. Tell us about that. Yeah, I was I was watching one time an interview with the world-famous atheist, scientist, author, Richard Dawkins. And Dawkins had just published a book uh, called The Wonder of Reality, something like that. And he was describing why he wrote it. He said, I, I wrote this book because some, and he used the word stupid, some stupid people teach their children that God made the world and that God is an explanation for the things in the world. And so he said, that's why I wrote for children. And in interviews since then, he's even said that he's wanting to focus a lot of his writing for younger readers. And when I heard that, I thought, if, if the Lord gives me the opportunity, I want to write books for children that help them be prepared for the kind of things we'll hear from people like Richard Dawkins now writing for them. Is this book uh, a book for, for kids, for children to read themselves, or is it designed to sort of be read in conjunction with a parent? It's really designed for a parent to read it to them. It's a storyboard book, but it's amazing to me that I've had even parents read it and say, you know, that was really helpful for me. And so um, I think that probably kids of any age or readers of any age it's appropriate for, but I do have in the back of the book a little section that's just for parents to kind of think through the issues a little more more deeply, and hopefully that'll help inform some of the conversations that I pray can be started by reading this book together. I understand that at some point uh, your daughter had a challenging question when she was like five years old or so that, that you had to tackle? Yeah, we were going for a drive in, uh, in Ohio where we live, and um, she's in the back seat in her car seat, and she said, Daddy, why did God make Satan? And I wasn't quite um, ready for her to ask such a, a, a deeply theological question. And that was, of course, followed up by another question, she, which was a, a little less profound, but it was on her mind. She said, Daddy, who do you love more, God or Satan? And so we just started talking about it. Where, where, why did God make Satan? Where did evil come from? And kids are thinking these kinds of questions, you know. Does does popular culture and entertainment and TV and all kind of contribute to this too, do you think? Yeah, I really think so. I think that more and more children are being faced with a number of issues that when when I was a kid, I wasn't faced with them. When my parents were kids, they certainly wouldn't have thought about the, the kind of issues our kids are being faced with, whether it's atheism or pluralism or gender identity. Kids are younger and younger being exposed to a rejection of the Judeo-Christian worldview. And it's, it's going to only become more important, not less important, more important for parents to be, begin preparing their children to think through these issues. What do you do with a parent? I've seen a number of cases of this who maybe the parents say, well, we're going to let our child grow up and 
make their own decision about God, whether he exists or what religion they want to be. How do you feel about a parent's responsibility? Well, I, I think I've, I've heard parents say something similar, too. And, and one of the things I want to say is make no doubt your child will make their own decision on that. That's the only way they can. You know, God has no grandchildren, as I've heard others say. God only has children. So your faith is not adequate for them. They'll have to at some point choose for themselves. But operating in such a way that you're going to present different faiths as being equal, that is a repudiation that is not congruent with, that's not consistent with a Christian worldview. So I would tell parents, teach the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father but by me. Teach them the truth. That's your responsibility to raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And they're absolutely right that when they, when they get older, they will have to make a decision for themselves. So let's uh, open the book up here on the radio and take a look, which is hard to do on the radio. But give us an overview of, of what is in this book. Well, the book is about two characters. And so I didn't want to just you know, basically confront children with a list of apologetic, you know, philosophical syllogisms and historical evidences and these rational arguments, but rather immerse them in a story. And so it, the, this, the book is about Thomas, and it, which is a bit of a play on, of course, the biblical character Thomas. Um, a little boy named Thomas, and he has an, an older sister whose name is Hope, and they have um, a dog named Dorothy and a mom who's listening into their conversations, and they're talking about the kind of questions that they have. Um, Part of it is influenced by the fact that Thomas has a friend at school named Richard, which is, of course, my kind of um, play on Richard Dawkins. And his friend at school, Richard, doesn't believe in God. So the book is about them talking about some of the ways that Christians can respond to that. All right. So when it comes to challenges that uh, Christian children might find to their faith, say in, um, in school or just in, in the neighborhood, how difficult is it for a, a child to kind of respond to someone, uh, especially maybe if they haven't, you know, studied up? What do you recommend? Yeah, first of all, of course, I recommend that parents be thinking through these issues. Um, parents don't have to have a Ph.D. in apologetics or something. I think sometimes parents are so overwhelmed at the, the enorm, you know, how enormous the task is and how many questions there are that they feel like they have to be an expert on all these things. And I would just encourage them, just start with the questions your children are asking, but expose them as much as you're able to to the kind of challenges they'll face. And some of the, some of the biggest challenges they'll face are going to be obvious to you. There's going to be challenges about whether or not God exists, whether or not the Bible is re- reliable. So I would encourage parents to start thinking through those issues. There are a number of great resources out there, even beginning with YouTube. You know, Google, um, do a search for Ravi Zacharias and begin listening to some of his talks, listen to Lee Strobel, and there's a number of great apologetics resources that can help parents be equipped to talk to their kids. Um, what I wanted to do was to have a resource that I could put in the hands of a child that they could begin to access that for themselves. And I guess this would apply for children as, as well as parents. There's that old adage, you never talk about religion and politics. How, how do you get around that? You know, I, I think that it's deep within our hearts. The Bible says that God has put eternity in our hearts. And we inevitably are going to talk about what matters most to us. And, you know, it's funny, you usually hear that adage 
when someone is breaking it, you know, though someone will say something like, I know you should never talk about religion and politics, but, and that kind of illustrates the fact that we can't get away from these big issues. Now, as Christians, we don't want to be obnoxious and try and cram what we believe down everyone's throat, but these are the kind of things that inevitably shape everything we do from where we, where we live to what we do for our vocation. These are the big kind of worldview issues everybody's thinking about. So I would just encourage parents to, to recognize their children are going to be faced with conversations, which will often challenge their faith. Their beliefs are going to be challenged. There's no way around it. And so as Christians, I think rather than hide from that, we should be prepared and face it head on. The word apologetics uh, is in your professional title, and that's a word that perhaps in the Christian world we see, but to a lot of people, apologetics sounds almost like you're apologizing or you're sorry for something. How do you, how do you work with that word? Yeah, you know, one time I was promoting a, an apologetics conference, and I received an email from someone who didn't appreciate my advertisement on social media and they, they said, you know, I, I don't see Muslims having an apology conference or Hindus having an apology conference. Why are Christians always apologizing? And, uh, you know, I had to laugh a little bit before I responded. Often in academics, we use the most difficult language that people don't understand. The word apologetic simply means answer. Um, Peter says that we should always be ready to give an answer. It can also mean a well-reasoned legal defense. But essentially, apologetics is giving an answer when someone asks you, why do you believe? That is pretty simple. So if you had about 15 or 20 minutes to uh, sit down, have some coffee, and talk to Richard Dawkins, what would you say? Well, I have a good friend who's done that on different occasions. And so I've learned through what he's had to say. And one, I think I would want to recognize that there are certain limitations of what you can accomplish in 15 minutes. So I think more than anything, I would want to share the gospel with him um, and to say, I know you reject this, but this is what I believe. And the reason I would want to do that, especially with limited amounts of time, is the gospel at the end of the day is the power of God into salvation. And the gospel, no one is too far gone for the gospel to change their hearts. And to be honest, all of us, before we had our lives transformed by Jesus, we were all a lost cause. And so I would want to share the gospel with him and have, give a winsome and warm presentation of what Christians believe. Now, obviously, if I have more time, I would want to try and deal with issues, that, questions he might have. So I'm not saying that Christians shouldn't respond to scientific challenges or philosophical challenges or historical challenges, but I think... Uh, the best Christian apologetics, giving an answer, should begin and end with a simple presentation of the gospel. In your own faith sharing, uh, personally, with individuals you meet, uh, people you, you come across and, and you want to talk to, how do you deal with the topic of the exclusivity of Jesus? Uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. In other words, he's saying, you know, I'm it. You want to be to heaven? You want to be in heaven? You, you've got to come through me. How, how do you deal with that one thing? Because there's so many other, you know, all roads lead to heaven and all these other thoughts. It sounds obnoxious and elitist and unloving. And I can understand all the reasons why someone would look at that and think Christians 
are just narrow-minded, you know, kind of jerks. Um, but it is funny if if you press into any person's way of seeing the world, what we would call worldview, you're going to find that they're exclusive. And so, you know, people who say all religions teach the same thing really don't understand all religions. Um, if you were to have a devout Muslim and an you know, Orthodox Jew and a secular humanist and a Bible-believing Christian, they would all agree we don't we don't. We don't believe that we're all saying the same thing. I once had an atheist friend say to me, you know, he said, don't you see this extremely narrow-minded that Christians say this is the one true way to heaven? And I, I said, well, you know, Christianity is the largest religion in the world. So there's a lot of people that fit into that camp. My friend was an atheist, is an atheist, and I said, so I'm actually agreeing with the largest religion in the world. You as an atheist, which is a, a minority position, or globally the number of atheists is still a minority position, you actually think everybody's wrong, Christians included. And so he actually, if you were to just, if it came down to pure numbers, atheism is far more exclusive and narrow-minded than a Christian or a religious, a general religious person would be. All right, I appreciate that. And you, of course, have, have written a number of, uh, of other books and so forth. Where can people go to find out more about what you've written? The, probably the best place would be my personal website, and it's Theo, like theology, and Latte, like coffee. And so it's theolatte.com. Dr. Dan DeWitt, Cedarville University, an expert on sharing faith with kids and with parents. Thank you very much, sir.